Welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm Joe Masato, joined by Barry Trammell, here to recap the Thunder's 116-103 loss to the Utah Jazz on Sunday night at Paycom Center. Barry, the, the story of the night was Bojan Bogdanovich, who shot 11 of 18 from three-point range, 35 points. The Jazz made 23 three-pointers and 17 two-pointers. They shot 40 of 89 with six more threes made than they made twos. And it was sort of remarkable watching this game. It's like, how is the Thunder even in even competitive? How are they even close in this game when the Jazz are, you know, they ended up shooting 44% on 52 three-point attempts. Um but the Thunder sort of attacked in a different way. They were terrible from 3-8 of 40. Um, but they outscored the Jazz 54-28 to 28 in the paint. But um, Bogdanovich was the story of the night, Barry. 11 of 18 from 3. Well, it was, uh, it was crazy just how many they took, much less how many they made. They took 52 threes, the Jazz. And uh, let's see, that means they took 37 two-pointers. And... They started off hot, filled up, I think they were they 8 of 10 at one point. 8 of 10, eight of, yeah. 8 of 10 to start the game from deep, which is just nuts. Um, you know, the Thunder thundered would be hard-pressed to make 8 of 10 layups in a layup line. But um, the, the Thunder finished with eight three-pointers, and the Jazz started <laughs> 8 of 10. <laughs> and on guys... A little bit of it was luck. Now, Bogdan is, you know, Bogdanovich clearly is a premium shooter. Royce O'Neal was hot early, and then, you know, he's got a little poku in him, then he, you know, misses badly. Um, So a little bit of that was was dumb luck. But a guy like uh, Bogdanovich is, you know, he's clearly a fantastic three-point shooter. So uh, they they caught him on a hot night. And 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 to their credit, you know what? What was it? Twenty four, I think they were down. I think it was a twenty four point lead for Utah at some point in the second half. And the Thunder cuts it to eight, you know, in the last couple of minutes to, you know, make make Utah sweat a little bit. But yeah. Um, but overall, it was a uh, is mostly just a sort of a a shooting expedition by the uh, by the Jazz. It's kind of crazy. Only five players in the history of the NBA have ever made more three-pointers in a game. Really? Um, so talking 12 and above here because Bogdanovich made 11. Those guys are Clay Thompson, Zach Levine, Stephen Curry, Kobe Bryant, and the best name of the bunch, Danielle Marshall. Uh, Steph Danielle has actually Mar- done it. What's <laughs> yeah. Danielle yeah. Marshall doing on that? <laughs> I know. Danielle it's crazy. Marshall. Yeah. I could see a Yukon guy making it, but Ray Allen, not Danielle Marshall. <laughs> yeah, it's the name that doesn't belong. Um, I guess people talking several years from now would think that Bojan Bogdanovich would also be a name that might not belong. But he's a he's a legit shooter um, and a big-time score. He had 35 tonight. That's not even his season high. His season high is 36. And last year in a game, he scored 48 points. So it's not like it came totally from nowhere but that was that was really what carried the jazz in this one um another thunder skeleton crew with eight guys down due to injury it was going to be seven and then isaiah roby was a late scratch before the game and that made it really interesting barry because you're looking at rudy gobert on the other side he's a seven footer um a pretty imposing seven footer at that 
And all of a sudden, Isaiah Roby, who had been the Thunder's starting center, um, undersized himself, but he's out now. That slides Darius Baisley to the five. Um, five on offense, not really defensively. The Thunder tried all, all sorts of things. Um, they played some zone. Sometimes Poku was on Gobert. Baisley, though, I thought it was just like a really fascinating night of how the Thunder have def- deployed him as a defender. He's the primary defender on Donovan Mitchell. Then he gets time on Gobert. Then he has time on Bogdanovich. Like going from Mitchell to Gobert to Bogdanovich, all three very different players, and, you know, didn't have success on all three of them for sure. Um, but the Thunder actually limited Gobert. I, I just thought it was a good display of, like, how Baisley's grown as a defensive player. Yeah, and he had, what, he had some, did he have two blocks tonight? Oh, that's okay. Uh, Baisley block shot three. three, three. So he's, you know, he's continuing that uh, newfound, uh, newfound skill. So that was, and and you know, at times they frustrated Gobert. Now he had he had seventeen rebounds, but there were two or three times Gobert got the ball in the paint. You know, within within reaching distance of the rim, and didn't convert or didn't even try. Um, you know, if I'm Utah, I want anytime Gobert catches the ball around the basket, you want him to just turn and dunk. And yeah, two or three times, he either tried and failed or didn't try at all. So Thunder was doing something to sort of keep him, keep him frustrated. No doubt about it. Yeah, and and I should mention Olivier Sar, his fellow Frenchman, because he also had a lot of time on on Gobert. Sar played 20 minutes off the Thunder's bench, um, had 11 points, nine rebounds. Took four three pointers. That's clearly um, madness. Wants it wants it to be a part of his game. I'm not going to say a part of his game, um, but I, I guess he uh, would like it to be. Um, it, it was pretty cool though, Barry. Like the two pregame captains tonight were Rudy Gobert and Olivier Sard, really? two seven foot Frenchmen. Yeah, so no, that is so cool. <laughs> uh, so, so you're not buying Sar as a stretch five? No, that's not. I, I don't know that that's in the in the game plan the way that it, the way that it needs to be. Um, yeah, uh, but I don't blame the guy for you know trying to expand his game and trying to catch somebody's eye, make you know, make a couple three pointers, and somebody might might fool somebody into thinking you can make them all the time. So, um, very. Uh, can I guess what your favorite part of this game was? And you, you have to tell me if I'm right. Okay. Think of it. Think of it I got, first. No, I, got, I, got, I got it. I got my favorite part of this game. There was t- <laughs> was actually, it? it's a twin. It's a twin entry. It's a, it's a twin entry. Okay. Well, then my guess, I'm changing my guess. I think you're thinking of a, of a Poku sequence. Um, but I thought you were thinking of a Lindy Waters block. It, that was it. Two, he had okay. two blocks. Two Lindy Waters okay. blocks. Okay, okay. Two Lindy I, Waters I blocks. Gone with, that was I should have gone with my that first guess. Two Lindy Waters block shots. He got Clarkson there, I think, in the lane, and I forgot what the other one was. Yeah, that that the transition block that he had against Clarkson when Clarkson was yeah. about to dunk it really surprised me. Yeah, he's – he's. of course, this was his best game because he's two for two on threes and, and then showed the defense – He's plus seven tonight on twelve thirty-five. Played twelve and a half minutes. Thunder outscores Utah by seven with him on the court. Um, clearly, you know Dagnall gets him off the uh, court because of uh, 
lottery considerations. So, <laughs> so it's your Norman bias coming through. <laughs> uh, but no, it was a good night for Lindy. So I was all fired up about that. That was he, he was that he was, was plus seven overall and plus thirty seven over Trey Mann. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trey, not not Trey, Trey Mann's greatest game, I don't guess. Trey Mann shot two of thirteen minus thirty tonight. Yeah, sometimes uh, it uh, happens. Sometimes, it happens. <laughs> sometimes it does happen. Um, a guy who was minus two, but uh, had just a terrific night again. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about him at this point. But Shea Gilgis Alexander, thirty three points, eight assists, seven rebounds, four steals, zero turnovers. Shoots 11 of 23 from the field and 11 of 12 from the free throw line. Um, and he did a lot of work when Gobert was off the floor, but he also did a lot of work when Gobert was on the floor. And for a guy that drives as, as much as SGA does, to have any success against Gobert is a pretty notable achievement. And since the All-Star break, Barry, he, is, he has just been on an absolute tear. I thought the most impressive thing about SGA tonight was that he got off to the slow start. He was one of five shooting. Uh, most of those five shots were uh, drives uh, into the lane. And clearly he was being frustrated by Rudy Gobert. And part of that was, I think part of that was Gobert's actual presence and some of that was Gobert's spiritual presence because, yeah. you know, the idea, you know, the idea that I better not better not go all the way because he'll appear and, and swat this bas- this ball to half court. So uh, so despite that start, then SGA gets incredibly hot. He ended up eleven to twenty three, but that's with some that's with a not a great fourth quarter. I can't remember what he did. Let's see, I had him three six eight. I think. Well, he he didn't shoot much in the second in the fourth quarter, but. Um, uh, he got a he got had four three pointers he missed, um, and a couple of those were just sort of circumstances beyond his control. But he really got going, uh, and clearly, it's time we discussed whether, you know, the proclamation of two weeks ago by Mark Dagnall that hey, you know Josh Giddy going forward is probably going to need to be the primary ball handler, and. Ever since then, Shea Gilgis Alexander is saying, "Well, let me show you what primary ball handling looks like." So, Giddy's. I had the I had the same exact thought. Yeah, and like, and it seems to me like it. He's sort of taking it as a challenge. Said, "Why don't you guys rethink this theory of yours?" So, um, and of course, he's done. Do you see that as a as a problem though? I don't know. Or if, like I don't good... know. I don't know. Not necessarily. Doesn't have to be. Um, you know, when Giddy comes back, it's possible. That SGA's, uh, no matter who's running the point or who's facilitating or who's controlling the offense, it's possible that SGA can't play like this because there's just, you know, he, he's doing what he's doing now because he has to. I mean, it's not. But, but it's also incredibly efficient. Yeah, like, it is. It's no, not you're like right. He's, you're right. You're it's exactly not like right. he's shooting 30% or something. No, you're right. It was, it, it, it is remarkable. So, um, he seems I, like, he seems like a new man since, yeah. since he, you know, I don't know when, I don't know when we actually pinpoint the starting point of that was, but it's, 
it's very encouraging for the Thunder, I think. Well, it's just after the All-Star I mean, he, he came back from the ankle injury first game after the All-Star break, and he's put on a show. I, I also thought about Josh Giddy tonight because, you know, he had those four triple-doubles, or three back-to-back-to-back, and that big game in Madison Square Garden. Um, then we get, you know, what, what you mentioned is Dagnalt saying that Giddy's going to move on the ball a little bit more. And it's almost like we started talking, okay, once Shea is back, how is Shea going to fit next to Giddy? Now I'm thinking the opposite. Like, when Giddy comes back, how is Giddy going to fit next to Shea? And at some point, the Thunder has a long time to figure this out. But clearly, we saw some of Giddy's best when Shea was not on the floor. Now we're seeing some of Shea's best when Giddy is not on the floor. And they've just got to figure out how to pair these two guys together. Yes, and since they're both, you know, facilitators, it's not completely easy. They don't fit together perfectly in that regard. Um, But I think Dagnall can figure it out. You know, the NBA is becoming more and more a uh, multi-ball handler league in terms of multiple point guards or facilitators or whatever you want to call them on the court together. So it's not like it's it's an impossible mission to figure it out. You just gotta you, you gotta keep them efficient, keep them happy, but keep the team humming along. So um, there's no reason why it can't work. We just don't happen to know what what working looks like at this point. Yeah, right. And again, it's it's the fit now looks clunkier than it will in next year or two seasons or three seasons because they just don't have the personnel around them that would make the fit easier. Like, if there was more shooting around both of those guys, the fit would look much better. So that's just going to take a little bit of time. Um, oh, one one pretty substantial note, significant note about Josh Giddy. The whole Thunder injury situation has been quite bizarre, trying to, to learn more about it, but we don't have a ton of information. Um on the eight guys that are injured, uh, Robinson Earl, we do. That was an official release that he was going to be out because of that um, bone fracture in his foot. But we hadn't heard much about Josh Giddy's hip injury. Now, you'll remember, Giddy played the Thunder's first game back after the All-Star break. is a home game against Phoenix. Then the second game, it was the second night of a back-to-back at Indiana. Giddy is a late scratch with hip soreness. Um, he hasn't been back since. We hadn't had an update, but then Mark Dagnall updates us after practice yesterday and said it's going to be a couple of more weeks, and then we'll look at him again. Now, Barry, there's only four weeks left in the season. So if you take a couple weeks to mean two, that means he's out at least two more weeks, and the most aggressive he could come back is in two weeks to then only play the final two weeks of the season. So I think there's certainly a chance that we've seen the last of Josh Giddy this season. Um, I don't know that for sure. Maybe he'll come back and play in a few games. But um, just fairly significant, I thought. This is going to be a very major impediment to winning Western Conference Player of the Month. I mean, Rookie of the Month, <laughs> if, if he actually doesn't get on the court. Well, b- both, both. Um, he's at, you know, But uh, it would make some sense, right? I mean, shutting down players down the stretch is – it's something the Thunder did last year and uh, uh, this year as well. You know, one thing in that regard is, 
you know, Thunder had been playing really well and had been competitive. And heck, they won at Denver the other night, which they had no business doing. And then what night? What's this Sunday? So Friday night, they get run out of the gym by Minnesota. And mm-hmm. tonight they get down 20-something early. Um, I think it's 46-24 was an early second quarter score. And it, the thought popped into my head, you know, is it possible that the competitive spirit that has kept them going pretty good despite, you know, the lottery situation, the uh, the lack of bodies, all the things that are conspiring against the Thunder, is it possible that at some point the roof caves in and they get a little bit like they did last year down the stretch, which is losing their competitiveness. Um, and we see more and more blowouts. Now, they reversed that tonight, made a game yeah. of it in the last two minutes, made made Utah at least finish. But um, I, I wonder about that. I wonder if without Giddy, without some of these other guys, they got Wiggins back tonight, but but lost Roby or held out Roby. I wonder if we're going to see a less competitive team here I don't in, know. in the next few weeks. I mean, I keep thinking that same thing, and then they they do what they did tonight and come back and, and make it a game. Also, the big difference between this year and last year is last year SGA was that guy who was out toward right. the end when it was non-competitive. And if he's going to keep playing, they're going to be, you know, some nights they're going to get blown out like they did against the Timberwolves. They've got a tough schedule coming up. Um, home against the Bucks on Tuesday, turnaround, second night of a back-to-back at Minnesota, then home against Memphis, um, home against the Hornets, who you know aren't great Spurs, but then the Heat. So there, there's some there's some games that'll test this and and show us where they're at mentally. But I don't know. They you mentioned that Denver game, like they often find themselves in situations they have no business being in. They've played far more close games than a team. Um, this low, this far down in the standing should. Um, and honestly, it's made it more fun to cover and watch and think about this team because last year, that, that second half was brutal. Yeah, it was. Uh, this hasn't felt like as much of a slog. No, to no, like, Okay, no. what are we going to talk about tonight? Yeah, no. and, and Minnesota uh, Friday night, That's that was an outlier. I mean, that's one reason we brought it up is we hadn't seen a ton of that. And... Um, I can't remember much about the game. I, I guess T Wolves just got hot, similar yeah. to what they, they, they made twenty two threes, yeah. which is one uh, fewer than now, the, the, now the Jazz one, made tonight. The one thing clearly going on is the Thunder's defense is is sliding pretty, pretty uh, precipitately. You, when you look at Lugans Dort out, you know the, you've lost. That's like SGA leaving the offense. And, and Kenrich Williams. And Kenrich Williams, exactly. So, uh, and not playing Derek Favors, you know, Favors uh, would would have kept Gobert from a few of those rebounds probably. Uh, by far the Thunder's biggest body against a traditional NBA center. So, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that anybody's clamoring for, for everybody to get back, but that's, that's some of the reasons why we've seen some of these results we've seen. Yeah. 
one one of the most surprising stats of the season is that you know th- this might change even after tonight, but at, going into tonight, the Thunder had the tenth best defense in the NBA. I saw where By, you I saw where you had that in the pa- in the paper like a couple of days ago. That was stunning to me because I hadn't checked it in a month or two, mm-hmm. and you know early in the year they were terrible on offense. Yeah, not bad on defense. Well, you know the defense is held up. It's held they're thirtieth in offense and tenth in defense, which I think it's even harder to be tenth in defense if you're thirtieth in <laughs> offense with as many you know teams running after a miss and everything like that. So they've played some legit defense. Now it's going to go down a little bit with as many guys they have out, but um, need to need to write a story on that. Just like how rare it is to have, you know. I, I did look this up. I think it was – it's been a, 10 years or so, but for the last-ranked offense in the NBA to have a top-10 defense, some of the process Sixers got close. I actually think it was like a Wizards team maybe in 2011, 2012, but um, kind of a rare thing. when You're that bad on one side of the floor, but above average on the other side. Yeah, and I, I guess what we're really looking for is what's the NBA record for um, – for a discrepancy, or the biggest between offense, between and, offense defense and defense, and the Thunder, according yeah. to you, I think is nineteen now. Are they eleventh? Did you say? So nineteen slots separate their offense and their defense. So yeah, they're um, tenth in defense. Tenth right in defense. So 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 twenty 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 slots different. Mm-hmm. So you don't see that very much. So that'll be no. That'll be uh, something to keep an eye on. You know. The defense has held up in part because Baisley has stepped up. Um, you know, Poku and and Giddy and guys whose defense, you know, can come and go or, or not come and go. Guys who have what you would cons- sort of assume have defensive deficiencies actually produce some you know pretty solid some pretty solid situations. Lindy Waters is a small part of that. Um, you know, Aaron Wiggins has been a solid defender for a rookie. He hadn't played in a couple of weeks, but he's back now. So they've got guys that actually, I guess, playing over what our expectations were defensively. Yeah. Um, let's end here with this question for you, Barry. Um, top six in the West right now. Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, Utah, Dallas, and Denver. Um Utah currently fourth, but when you're looking at winning the West, advancing to the NBA Finals, um, in that elite group, when you look at Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, Dallas, if you want to throw Denver in there, like where where do you where do the Jazz rank for you as likelihood of coming out of the West? I like them a lot. Um, I would pick them second behind Phoenix. I thought you were going to say second. Yeah, because uh, I've always liked them. Um, they didn't have Conley tonight. Love Mike Conley. They don't have, uh, you know, everybody's favorite Australian, Joe Ingles, gone for the year. We thought Kenrich Williams might be a jazz um, come trade deadline. It didn't happen. So they're not, you know, they're not as good as they could be. But um, but I I think they still got a chance to, to win it, uh, to win the West. They've got they got defense with Gobert, and if they if they can get enough offense in the playoffs, Donovan Mitchell needs to play well, no doubt about it. Conley needs to play well. Bogdanovich is not going to make 11 of 18 in any game or any series, 
But, you know, he's clearly a big-time player. Um, I think Jordan Clarkson is a wild card. Uh, I don't particularly... Boy, I, was, I was thinking tonight, like, if I was a Jazz fan, he would probably drive me crazy. I mean, some nights he, he yeah. single-handedly will win you a game. Yeah. But other nights he's just... He takes... Yeah, really I, bad shots I don't, and is inefficient. I don't particularly like him. I guess what they do is they do a lot of wholesale substitution. I think at one point they had five bench players out there, five guys off the bench at one time there in the second quarter. Um, but I get it's not a great offensive bench, um, and I think maybe they just say, you know what, score, you know, score how you can, and that's one way they can. Um, but I still like I still like their team a lot though. Hassan uh, Whiteside, I think, has been a pretty good addition because he's he's about as close to Rudy Gobert as you're going to get in a backup center. Um, his defense, nothing like Gobert's in terms of pick and roll, those kinds of things. But he's an excellent rim protector. I think uh, he blocked two shots with his elbow tonight. <laughs> probably. So, I mean, he's minus 13 tonight uh, in 13 minutes in a game they won by 13. So, I mean, he's not. A massive human being, by the way. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, there's there's things I really like about their team. And I think think at some point they they might just get one. So, um, that'll be – I'd like to see Utah win the NBA championship. I like the Utahs. I like – I like the state of Utah. I like the Jazz. I like uh, I like underdogs. I like small markets. There's nothing not to like about the Jazz. So, uh, like Mike Conley, classiest guy in the NBA. So, lots to like about about the Jazz. I hope they can get it done, and I think they got a shot. Do you like that they have uh, former All Big Twelve players and Jared Butler and Udoka as a bookie who did not play tonight? Um, <laughs> I had forgotten about that. That doesn't do much for me. Uh, I just had to sneak that in. They, I, know, they, I know you're uh, They also got old Daniel House Jr., who's a former A&M Aggie. Um, that's right. And one of the goofiest guys in the league. I mean, it's it's one of the undertold stories in the history of of of, of the <laughs> pandemic. I mean, a guy goes to the NCAA bubble and gets kicked out because he tries yeah, to sneak a girl, trying to get, the, trying to get a, a, a girl sneak snuck into his room. Um, you know, don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't Royce know. O'Neal also a Big Twelve, a guy. Baylor man, a Baylor man, a, a Baylor man, uh, and Trent Forrest. For all I know, uh, you know, he's one of those TCU guys you never heard of until he gets to the NBA. <laughs> I don't know where Trent Forrest is I, from. I actually don't know either. I'm looking it up now. Trent um, Forrest, Georgia Tech. I'm gonna say Georgia Tech. Hey, you're pretty close. You have the you have the conference correct. He's a Florida State man. A Florida State man. Okay, All that's right. another school that just pumps out a ton of players that you might not be familiar with. Yeah. So. All right. Um, well, Barry, thank you for doing this, and thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. We'll be back with you next time.